I want to thank the Lord. We, we've, our numbers this past year, I shared this last week, we've grown, but this past year are over 19%, I think somewhere around 19.4%. We grew over this past year. God's blessed our church family. The one thing that I want church to be is a place of no pressure. We have enough pressure in our life. We don't need to come to church and feel more pressure. This should be a place where you leave and feel the load got lighter rather than heavier. You should be able to leave out of here on Sundays. I never did understand that. It never did make sense to me whenever they say, boy, that preacher stepped on my toes. I've never considered anybody stepping on my toes a compliment, okay, or a good thing. What we want is we want to hear truth, but we want our lives to grow. We want our lives to be better. And I, I'm doing a sermon series uh, called Invest. And it's not talking about money. I don't want you to get your minds on money. I want It's invest in your life. It's never too late to begin again. But to begin again, you have to have faith. You've got to have hope or hope, faith, and you've got to have a plan. A lot of people want life to change, but they don't understand you've got to have a plan for life to change, or your life will keep being the same. And you'll wonder why some people seems to get better, and others it seems to get worse. But I'm telling you, a plan makes all the difference in the world. What is spiritual development? It's investing in your spiritual journey. It's taking the time to grow the God-man, for the God plan. You are a spiritual being. And you've heard me say this so many times, I sometimes hate repeating myself, but we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And it's important for you to understand your spirit being. This past week, I went to spend with my mother in Mississippi. My mother has dementia. She's in the nursing home. and I, Her life's story has not been what you would call the most positive in the sense that mother lost daddy when, daddy was four, uh, when she was 40 years of age and there were nine kids at home. And she's raised us nine kids and... and it's now then she's she has dementia, but she's so happy. So I went to see her. Of course, when I walk in, she's so surprised. But the next day when I walk in, she's just as surprised as she was the first day. You know, it's like living a permanent groundhog day. You know, just every day is a new day. It's funny. I took her this. Uh, I took her. Uh, I, I wanted her to have a goose down comforter for her bed, and I took her that. But I knew that probably wouldn't mean a lot to her. That's really, I went and got the best. It wouldn't make her difference if it come from the cheapest place. In fact, she'd have felt better about it. But, but I, it was about me. I wanted to get her a really nice down comforter. And she didn't get excited about that, but I had a 75-cent ice cream. She really got excited about that ice cream. But uh, we're sitting there, and, and I... Uh, we walked into her room, and we're sitting there, and I get a picture out of Daddy. 
And it's Daddy and his mother standing in front of the church in Missouri where we grew up. And my grandfather founded that church. And I said, Mother, who is this? That's your father. I said, what is his name? Charles Albert de Priest. Yeah. I said, now who's this he's standing beside? That's his mother, your grandmother. And I said, what's her name? She tried, and she just couldn't pull it up. And finally I said, Gertrude? She said, Gertrude, that's her name. I said, Mother, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. And I said, is he really my daddy? (laughs) She may have dementia, but let me tell you. She said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I started laughing. I said, I, she, then she got tickled and started laughing. But we sat and we sang. I said, would you love to sing? She said, let's sing. We started singing, where could I go? And I would act like I forgot the words. And she would remember every word of that song. She can't remember. She struggles to remember us kids. But the things of God, I said, what about Psalms 23? And once I started, the Lord is my shepherd, she quoted the rest of the entire Psalms 23. So what about John 3.16? And once I started, she quoted all of John 3.16. And I thought, it's so powerful while she's struggling with this dementia. The things of the Spirit are deep inside of her. You can't take that away. And she's got a sweet spirit. We're going down the hallway to her room, and there's this little friend she's got, Miss Cunningham, who struggles with dementia. And I said, they're both got their walkers. And I said, see who can beat to the room. (laughs) And I forgot my mother's got that competitive nature, you know. But... She stuck her tongue out the side of her mouth and she was slinging that walker down through there. I thought she was going to wipe out everybody in the hallway. She got to the room first. She said, I won. I said, yeah, you won. (laughs) Now, why is that important? Why do I tie that in today? Because, you see, if you look at, you study people who don't believe. You study people who have an agnostic or an atheist view, at the end of their life, you look at their spirit. And many times you'll see anger and a bitterness that has its way of weaving into the people they're around and their children. And I tell folks this. It's not important that we all see things alike. We're all in this spiritual journey. And we're all at different places. Legalism says you have to see it. Everybody has to see it the same way. That's what legalism is. Grace says God is at work in your life and he's at work in my life. And he is bringing us to knowledge. He is developing us in our life. So today I want you to follow with me. And you have notes and I'm going to wrap this up. But I want you to follow with me as we talk about spiritual development. Jim Rohn says you must take personal responsibility. You cannot change the circumstances, the seasons, or the wind, but you can change yourself. 
You see, investing is a lot different than speculating. A lot of people go through life in what I call speculating. They're just, it's, they're not looking for a return on what they're investing. And you've got to look for a return on your investment, even in your spiritual life. You say, should I expect a return? Absolutely. See, one of the great principles that Jesus taught over and over again was fruitfulness. Fruitfulness says I should be able to invest and then I should get a return on my investment. So in your spiritual life, you have to make an investment. Now, I want, I want to say this so that we establish this from the beginning. Your salvation is the work of Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. You cannot earn your salvation. Your salvation is a gift from God. But discipleship, developing your life, growing your life, is your personal responsibility. And the challenge is a lot of people want to develop, they want a lot of things out of life, but they're not willing to make an investment. So you've got to make an investment. In anything you get a return on, anything you get a return on, you've got to make an investment. So how do you strategically? And that's what I want to do through this series. I want to break down several areas of our life and talk about how we strategically invest in order to get a return. So, you know, some people have a mentality that says, well, I shouldn't expect anything back. I want to tell you, everything about Christ is learning the law of reciprocity, that there's nothing that you give that he will not return back greater to you. And God wants to give to us. It's like children. We want to give to our children. A loving parent loves to give to their children, but they want to see some fruitfulness from that. And so God is this incredible God who loves us, and he wants to bless us, and he wants to give us and we have the opportunity to take what he's given and we can grow that. So you have a choice, get bitter or get better. And you can look at your life and say, well, this is what happened or this is the circumstance. And now then you have the opportunity to say, how does that turn into fruitfulness? How does that turn into a blessing? How does that turn into helping my life grow and helping my life become a better life and a more influential life and a more peaceful life and a more content life. How do I get that kind of life? And all of that takes place in the Spirit. Let's go to the Word of God in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, But you, my friends whom I love, are forewarned and should therefore be very careful not to be carried away by the errors of wicked men and so to lose your proper foothold. And I want you to underline that lose your don't lose your proper foothold because I, I was watching these rock climbers and I watch how they put their foot down and they'll test it before they trust it they're going to make sure I can trust where that foot is once I know I can trust that and once I know my foot's going to stay there and not going to slip then I can push myself to the next place so you've got to learn to get the proper foothold and on the contrary, you should grow in grace and in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory now and until the dawning of the day of eternity. The spiritual growth journey is one of getting to know and experience who we really are in spirit form. Now, let's just think about it. It's getting to know who you really are in spirit form. 
when everything else in life, all the fluff is taken away from you, who are you? What's the real you? Spiritual growth begins to make sense when we realize we have both a personality and a soul. And while our personality identifies with limitation, our soul knows itself to be limitless. Our challenge is to bring the personality and the soul together in harmony. It's to take that which has limits and bring it together with that which is limitless and say, okay, now I'm going to bring my personality that has limitations and bring it to and, and match it with my soul. Now, what is your soul? I've talked about this over the last month. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that is limitless. They were interviewing David Green. David Green is the founder of Hobby Lobby. And uh, David Green has got a great story. Grew up as a son of a pastor and started a little framing shop. And from that little frame shop grew into 470-some stores that are debt-free. Hobby Lobby has no debt. The Gates Foundation called him because they contact all billionaires and they are, they're asking all billionaires to give away half of their wealth in their lifetime. The Gates Foundation called David and said, we want to ask if you would commit to give away half of your wealth during your lifetime. And David Green answered and said, absolutely, yes, I'm going to give away more than half of my wealth during my lifetime. And they said, well, what are you going to give it to? Do you mind sharing? He said, not at all. He said, there's two things that are eternal. The word of God and the soul of man. And over half of everything I've got will go, to be, will go toward matching up the word of God to the souls of man. Because those are two eternal things that you can't, that will never be done away with. He said, I want to invest into the eternal. I thought that was very interesting. So your soul is that which is never going to die. And so you got your mind, will, and emotions that you need to match up with your personality. And as you match up with your personality, it's, it's really the vision of this church to equip individuals to become all that God designed them to be. Not what we want you to be. Not what somebody else has told you to be. But what God designed you to be. Now, Jack, Cranf uh, Jack Canfield, he said this. I love this. He said, you can't hire someone else to do your push-ups for you. You know, you may, you, there's a lot of things you can get somebody else to do, but personal development requires you to get engaged in the process. It requires you to do something. So I want to walk, walk through this little journey. Spiritual growth involves increasing in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word, that's the reason why over this next year we're going to have lots of opportunities for you to get in classes, to become a part of small groups, to become engaged in growing your life in God's Word. Number two, this is especially important, so if you've got a pen, make a big circle around it. Decreasing in your frequency and severity of sin. Now why is that important? I grew up kind of where once you got saved, you weren't ever supposed to sin again. And what I found out was, I did. And so now then the question is, wow, I didn't think I was supposed to sin after I got saved, and yeah, I see that I sin, so I have two choices, admitting that I sin or covering up. So I became pretty good at covering it up. 
And that's what many times we do. And that's not the thing to do. The thing is decreasing in your frequency. It's it's not saying you're not going to sin. It's saying decreasing in the frequency of sin. Secondly, and severity of sin. Spiritual growth says, okay, now as I develop in my spiritual life, things that used to control me all the time do not control me all the time. And, and things that, the, the severity of sin, the choices I made or the things I did, and the severity of them, I don't do those anymore. Now what happens is, when you decrease the, severe, the frequency, and you decrease the frequency, uh, the frequency and the severity, then what happens is, all of a sudden your life starts taking on a new direction, and a better direction, because you're not having to live with guilt, you're not having to live with condemnation, you're not having to live with the things that hold you back. Shame, you don't have to live with that. Because why? I'm decreasing the frequency and the severity. Thirdly, increasing in your practice of Christ-like qualities. It's learning a, as your spiritual growth, you start, you start doing the things that are right. The things that you've struggled with and the things that you're challenged with, you start doing the right things. And, and now that all of a sudden you start seeing the benefit of doing that which is right. And then fourth, increasing in your faith and trust of God. Increasing in your faith and trust in God. That's what spiritual development, if I just wanted to nail down spiritual development, I would put it in those four areas. And why is that important? Because we don't want, I am beyond the place of trying to get people to have unrealistic expectations. I see people say, come to Christ and get delivered from all everything. You're not going, you know, the only time you're going to get delivered from everything is when you go be with Jesus. And I'm not quite ready for that yet. Right now, I'd rather have a few problems and be living. How about an amen? You know, I'd rather be struggling with some things and, and, and still be here. So when we're realistic, we understand we still struggle with life. We still struggle with issues. But we have the opportunity to be able to work with those and develop and become better. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Spiritual development is going through a metamorphosis. It's going through a transformation. It's beginning to look differently, act differently, beginning to live differently. It's that metamorphosis that takes place in your life. So I want to go through three ways to invest in spiritual development. Number one, manage your thoughts. If you'll notice, I didn't say control your thoughts. I said manage your thoughts. You can't always control your thoughts. I have some of the stupidest dreams anybody could ever have. And I'll wake up and think, where did that come from? Well, I can't manage, I cannot control my thoughts. But here's the thing, I can manage them. I have the power, and I talked about this last week, allowing those thoughts to become actions. And so I can manage. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. 
When I became a man, I stopped those childish ways. There comes a time in your life when you have to start managing your thoughts. You have to start saying, it's kind of like one thought can become another thought, becomes another thought, becomes another thought. It bugs me when people are like, well, you know what? They acted different to me today. I think there's something wrong. Well, there probably is. They got up on the wrong side of the bed, and it has nothing to do with you. They're acting that way to everybody. Or you can choose to say, you know what? They acted different. Something must be going on in their life, and I'm going to pray for them. Whatever that is, I love them. And you can start managing your thoughts when somebody acts away to you. You can manage that thought to become a positive, or you can manage that thought to become a negative. And you can say, well, they're just not the same. Well, maybe there's something in their life you have no idea about. Don't make it all about you. And see, a lot of people make it all about them. And you got to learn to start saying, I'm going to believe. It's kind of like, tell folks, just believe everybody loves you. That's a whole lot better than believing they all don't like you. And so when you start managing your thoughts, Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. My mother always said this, and I've watched it become true. She said, attitudes grow up to be spirits. A bad attitude early in life will grow up to be a bad spirit. A good attitude early in life will help, will grow up to be a good spirit. My, firmly, my mother firmly believed in attitude adjustments. She did. And, and, and so she believed that she would watch children. And having t being a widow and having ten children, my youngest brother was three and there were stair steps uh, up. She took, we, we didn't go in grocery store and have fits. We were too scared to have a fit in a grocery store. <laughs> Whew, we knew what was waiting for us when we got home. And she would just say, she said, that attitude will grow up one day to be a bad spirit. And I watched that through time. I watched that, and I have watched it never fail. And your attitudes, as you grow, as you, if you let an attitude just go, it will grow up to be either good, if you manage it, manage your thought, or it grow up to be bad. So you've got to decide, what am I going to do? Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. James Allen, who is the author of As a Man Thinketh, says this, you are today where your thoughts have brought you. You will be tomorrow where your thoughts take you. Sometimes people tell me, say, well, I don't believe what's, you know, They'll tell me all that's gone wrong in their life. And I can tell you this from my personal experience. Where, 
where I'm at today and where I've been is always the product of the choices I've made. And my choices were the product of the thoughts that I had. Some people get offended when you say that. They say, well, Greg, this happened to me. Life is going to happen to all of us. My mother did not choose to become a widow at 40 years of age. She didn't choose that. But you know what happened? She looked at it and she allowed her attitude, she allowed her thoughts, she allowed all of that be shaped by the spirit that was in her. And she allowed that spirit. And now then here she is at 83 years of age with dementia. And she's a happy individual who loves to smile, loves to laugh, and loves the Lord. I mean, all you have to do is start talking about the Lord and, whoa, she is there. Why? Because she allowed something to take place in her spirit. The second point I want to make today on ways to invest is control your actions. And I said manage your thoughts. You have to manage your thoughts. You can't control your thoughts. You can manage them. But second, you can control your actions. You know, I, I tell people this. If you get mad because people pull out in front of you, then I can promise you this. There will always be people pulling out in front of you. And it's amazing what happens when you don't get mad because people pull out in front of you. No one ever pulls out in front of you. We create our scenarios. And how we, when we go through life, and I, I share this over and over again, Satan can't read your mind. The only way he knows how to get to you is your words and your responses. And when you act ugly, he's like, <laughs> got him that time. Now I know what works. And he'll keep sending that again and again and again and again into your life. He will absolutely, because you know what? He got your number. I tell people, he's not smart, but he is a good devil. He does his job. Okay? He does his job consistently. And so what he does is when we allow, we create our scenarios in life. And so whenever we have something that really gets to us, then that thing will keep coming up again. And it will come up again until eventually you learn to manage or control your actions. Proverbs 25, 28 says this. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. You know what he's saying? A person without self-control allows anything and everything to come in and take over their life. So you've got, you got to have self-control. You've got to learn. I have got to control my actions in life. And I can control my actions in life. Galatians 5, 23 says this. The Spirit, however, produces in human life fruits such as these. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, generosity, fidelity, tolerance, and self-control. And no law exists against any of them. Those who belong to Christ have crucified their own nature with all that it loved and lusted for. If our lives are centered, and circle that word centered because I'm going to come back to that. If our lives are centered in the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. 
you know, it, it, it's always interesting to me how we keep reproducing things. Insurance, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the, the term, but it's the people who determine the risk uh, in insurance. They, they know this is true. They know that if a person starts having wrecks, they'll continue to have wrecks most of the time. Uh, Rudy Giuliani recognized this when he became mayor of New York, and he said, we're going to do the broke, fix the broken windows. Of it, and it's called the broken window uh, uh, principle. And they went to all the warehouses, and they told everybody that owned these buildings, you have to fix those broken windows. Because here's what he said. People will not bother a building unless they see a broken window, and if one window is broken, they assume there's nothing wrong with breaking out the rest of the windows. And so what they did in New York City, they started going through, and you can read this in his book, but they started going through and they started fixing broken windows. I tell people this, if your car has dings and scratches and things on it, then you need to get it fixed. Because what I always noticed in banking is if a person, we would watch people. And if I saw a car that I financed in town and I saw it was shiny and clean and all that, I'm like, I'm not going to have to repossess that one. But if I saw one that I financed and I saw it dirty and I saw it start having dings in it, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to end up repossessing that one, I almost guarantee you. Because why? We set patterns in our lives. And so when we understand this whole thing about actions and we start controlling our actions, we start taking responsibility, we stop blaming others, and we set things in place. It's called managing your life. And so as you start setting those things in place, all of a sudden life begins to change for you. And the last one is live life with equanimity. Now, I read to you the scripture out of Galatians. It says, if our lives are centered in the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. Equanimity is that centering your life. It's living your life with balance. I put a little equation in there. E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals outcome. So when you look at your events in your life, and then you look at the responses you have in life, then that is going to give you the outcome of your life. Now, you're at, some of you may be sitting here thinking today, Greg, you're talking about the Spirit, and yet you're talking about getting spiritual development, but all of these things aren't really that spiritual. Let me share this with you. The book of Romans gives us theology and gives us a whole... God's salvation plan shows us how we come to Christ. Shows us first we were alienated, our sin separated us from God. And then it comes on and says, okay, now then God reached down and he pursued us. And then it says, we, God did the work for us. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then it takes us on and show, Paul goes from salvation shows the work of a sovereign God in our life. That's in the book of Romans. Every other epistle that he wrote, letter that Paul wrote, it's about telling people how to manage 
what Christ did in their life. Every book in the Bible uh, that Paul wrote, every epistle letter, is either Paul saying, this is what you need to do, or he's looking at them and says, this is what you shouldn't do. Because salvation is a gift from God. From there on, it's about us taking this incredible gift that God has given us and developing it to either become better or, or isolating it to where we're saved people having a really hard life. And a lot of people don't understand that because they're always wanting, let's get people saved, let's get people saved, let's get people saved. And my thing is, you know what? I believe in people coming to Christ, but let me tell you, we've got a lot of people who are saved that are struggling that need someone to come along and say, let us give you some instructions. And let us show you how you can take this wonderful experience in your life and allow it to develop and allow it to grow. Now I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 21. L live life then, and underline this, with a due sense of responsibility. It's just called living life responsibly. Not as men who do not know the meaning and purpose of life, but as those who do. Make the best of your time, despite all of these difficult days. And I love this next three words. Don't be vague. You see, you've got to have a plan. You've got to sit down, write a plan. Say, what's the plan for my life? How am I going to develop myself spiritually? Here's what we can do as a church. We can have all kinds of classes. You can come now to the, today and say, okay, I'm going to start the new year right. We're going to be faithful. We're going to start going to church. We're going to get up on Sunday mornings. And you'll do it for three or four. But you've got to sit down and you've got to write a plan. You've got to say, here's the plan. And now then we're going to work this plan. And we're going to be consistent with this plan. We'll get all kinds of people who'll sign up for classes. But you know what? I'm not interested in who signs up for a class. I want to know who finished the class. Because it's those who finished that I can look at and say, they stuck with something. And now then you can watch and see a change come place, take place. But when people say, I'm going to, Paul put it this way one time. He said, you did run well. What did hinder you? You started out good. Then along the way, you got distracted. So you got to sit down and say, I'm going to start putting a plan. And he says, but firmly grasp what you know to be the will of God. The next line is especially written for the members of Christ Fellowship. It says, don't get your stimulus from wine. That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> you know what he's saying here? It's a powerful statement right here. He's saying, do not get your stimulus from external things. Because if you are stimulated by external things, they're going to always be, you're going to get everything from outside. Listen to what he says. But let the Spirit stimulate your souls when, when you start allowing external things to constantly determine your life 
It's going to put you on a roller coaster. You're not going to find the balance. You're going to find that you're going to be up and you're going to be down. But when you allow the Holy Spirit of God to begin to give you that deep, settled peace, when you allow God to begin to speak to your heart, and you don't get it from the outside, how does God speak to us? Through His Word, the Holy Spirit, through other people and circumstances. I'm just going to caution you with this. Good things are not necessarily God things. And a lot of people try to do good things. This really messed me up because no one told me that in life. And I wanted to do good. And I kept understanding why I was struggling. Man, I give away money to people doing good. And not understand why I was broke. Because I'm like, God, I'm doing good. And you know what? Good is not necessarily God. So you got to stop and you got to say, good things can be a distraction. And can I tell you this? Good things can stimulate you and make you feel good about yourself. And that outside stimulation says, well, I'm doing good. You got to be able to stop and you got to be able to distinguish. What's God's plan? What's God's will? Not what is good. What is God? Whenever I sat down and began to say, you know what? I'm not going to live in this good thing anymore. God's not obligated to the good thing, but he is obligated to the God thing. And so whenever I stop and say, God, I don't want to be distracted. I want to do the God thing. Then all of a sudden, life starts taking on meaning. It usually is not near as stimulating, but it is much more fruitful. The challenge with living life with equanimity is you don't have highs and lows. I first heard this word through Buster Welch, cutting horse trainer, and it's one of his quotes. And he says, keep your highs low and your lows high. Live life with equanimity. And I've watched people. And, and, and I'm just going to say this and wrapping it up. Churches can take advantage of people by giving them great highs and great lows. I just want you to think about that. Our goal as a church is not to send you up to these great highs, and then it's not to send you out feeling like scum of the earth. Our goal as a church is to keep it right here. It's not going to be as stimulating as a lot would want it. But it's not going to be the guilt and the shame that you always get with the other two. See, for every action there has to be an equal and opposite reaction. So if I send you to this great high, then the next thing you know, there has to be the great low. And so it becomes this up and down. We don't want to do that. We want to live with equanimity. And when you start living it with equanimity, it takes away, it's not near stimulating, but it's much more fruitful. And I want you to understand that about your life. I'm going to wrap it up with this. It says, express your joy in singing among yourselves psalms 
and hymns and spiritual songs, making music in your hearts for the ears of God. Thank God at all times for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and fit in with each other because of your common reverence for Christ. It's not always trying to be the opposite or the, you know. I sit and talk to some people in this community that I highly respect and love. And I said, if you ever hear Christ Fellowship is weird, please come and tell me because it probably means we are. And I'm not interested in being weird. See, a lot of people want to take you to this weirdness. Because why? It's like, and I know, fit in. We're not the only church. We're just one of many churches. I tell people, if you come here and you're Catholic, you don't have to quit being Catholic. Just say, I'm a Catholic, goes Christ Fellowship. You come here and you're a Baptist, you don't have to quit being a Baptist. Say, I'm a Baptist, goes Christ Fellowship. If you're a Methodist, just come and say, I'm a Methodist, goes Christ Fellowship. If you're Holy Roller, say, I'm Holy Roller, goes Christ Fellowship. You know, I mean, you know, the thing about this, it it's not taking away your identity. It's saying, come on, we have the ability to come together, and we don't have to be weird, but we can learn to fit in with one another. And we can build this relationship with God that gives glory to Him and takes the focus off of us. That's really what it's about. Everything you experience in life, both internally and externally, is a result of how you have responded to a previous event. So here's the thing. There are some things you can manage. You can manage your thoughts. There are some things you can control. You can control your actions. And you can learn to start living life in a balance. Start saying, everything that's good isn't God. Let me learn what is the God thing. And that's what I want to focus on in my life. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul said, follow my example as I follow Christ. Today I'm going to pray with you. And I just want to share this with you. Every Sunday, we have communion here at the front for those that would like communion. Sometimes as you go through a week, you may just be at a place in your life where say, I've been challenged. I want to renew my covenant. We have communion as a congregation together from time to time, but we always want communion to be available if a person says, today I just want to renew my covenant with him. I just feel like a renewal of him. I've gone through some things and I want to renew that. The other thing is we've always going to have deacons here at the front and leaders that will pray with you. And today I'm going to pray and they're going to come to the front. I'm going to ask you all to stand right now while I pray. And if you would like prayer, please feel free to come to the front and they will pray with you. Let's go to him in prayer now. Father God, I come before you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for this peace that you give that passes all understanding. My prayer is that people today, the words that I speak, that have no value, I pray they would just forget them as they leave out of here. But the words that the Spirit speaks to their hearts, I pray that they will begin to take it to heart. And they will begin to grow and develop their faith. And allow the Spirit of the living God 
to begin to shape their lives and trust you with it. Sometimes it's just hard for us to trust you. And Lord, let us make a commitment. We're going to start controlling or managing our thoughts. We're going to start controlling our actions. We're going to start living life in a better balance so that we can be fruitful and be what you designed us to be, which is your heart. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name. Can everyone say amen? amen. I love you. May God bless you. May his peace go with you. You're dismissed in Christ's name.